Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. France are the Nations League champions. Germany are the first nation through to the FIFA 2022 World Cup in Qatar. And this weekend, as the Premier League returns, we see Newcastle United take on Tottenham, fresh off the extraordinary takeover that has the entire football world talking. We'll discuss all that and more on this week's episode of The Gangapod. Let's get started. Yes, hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Gagampod. Plenty of football to enjoy over the last uh, week or so, despite the Premier League taking a hiatus in the international break. We were treated to an excellent Nations League climax with France lifting the trophy. They got the double. Well, we all thought they might get the Euros before the tournament. It wasn't to be, but they've got the Nations League to go with their World Cup triumph. So we'll discuss that and look ahead towards the Premier League returning as ever. David Wiener with you once again, joined today by Michael Bridges, Thomas Sorensen. Bridgie, Mark Schwartz is not with us. He's on his way back to London from Spain. So we will we will get on with it ourselves. How are you? How are you traveling? And have you enjoyed what was pretty, a pretty entertaining weekend of football? Dave, I've got to say, not having Schwartz here, you've just made my morning even better. We don't have to listen to his dribble and drabble. The listeners will be entertained by me and Thomas. will be upbeat and lively, apart from the old man. So that's one good thing for this morning. And the international break, it just gets better and better with the news. Obviously, we saw the Nations League semi-finals um, this week and over the weekend. We saw the final France coming up against Spain. What an absolute amazing game that was with controversy as well. No doubt we'll discuss mm. and go into that a little bit. And then the international games this um, for the World Cup qualifiers. It's been so thrilling. There's been goals all over the place. And the big one for me um, this morning was Germany getting their 4-0 win over North Macedonia after the, um, I think it was a, a defeat to Macedonia, North Macedonia last time these these nations met. So um, Germany getting getting the job done. That's right. That was in March, a 2-1 loss. But today, Timo Werner, Kajavitz, Jamal Musiala got the job done. They're the first team through to the World Cup in Qatar. And we'll discuss that in a bit. And that, I guess, if anything, does show the difference between the Jürgen Lowe and the Hansi Flick era, that result quite possibly does that. Thomas, how are you? Lots going on. And uh, we are recording on a Tuesday morning. But of course, Wednesday morning here is a big one for you because Denmark might be the next nation behind Germany to make it to the World Cup. Yeah, I think uh, it needs to take a miracle for Denmark not to qualify. They've got three games left, need one win. Um, and yeah, they've got Austria, potentially a, a tough game at home tomorrow. But it would be a fantastic uh, you know, night to, to qualify. I think the Yulman has come out and uh, you know, said, told the fans to really appreciate the, the good times that Denmark are having. We've obviously got Simon Kier, who's up for Ballon d'Or. We've got mm. Kasper Schmeichel, who's, who's in the Le- Yassin Award uh, reckoning. And, uh, you know, small nations, you know, we all know, even with Australia as well, you know, you, you can't take anything for granted. And, uh, you know, people should just enjoy how, how well the team is playing. Tommy, I've got to say, mate, for Denmark's campaign, 
for this World Cup qualification in the seven games with seven wins. The goal difference is 26. Goals for 26 and none against. You've mentioned I was I was just blown away way by the man, Kier, um, during the Euros, the way he handled the Ericsson situation and the way he's such a leader. Man, it's got to be one of the best World um, qualifications that Denmark's ever ever seen, surely. No, I think I think you can go a step further. I think it's one of the best qualifications that's ever been. <laughs> um, you know, they are in a you know they're not in the, the toughest of groups. So let, let, let's let's get that on the table. Well, but, yeah, Scotland are in there. But they've but still, agree with you there. Austria, Faroe Islands, yeah. Moldova, but plus twenty six uh, still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and to be fair, uh, in European football, uh, the bottom um, ha- has definitely caught up uh, to the t- tops. So it's become a lot harder to qualify, and we see that across uh, the qualification. But, but still, at that level, to 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 not concede, uh, to consistently win, um, you know, you got to give uh, you know the the, the work that Harrider did, and now Yulman, um, and then the players to come together. I think uh, they got a, a really good team spirit. Whenever whenever I see you know, interviews and, and uh, you know, pictures. And they just seem to, you know, just have a great time. Uh, and, and we all know who, who's played at the highest level. If, if uh, you know, if you have team spirit, if, if you have that desire and, and that togetherness, you can, you can go a long way. And then they have the quality as well. Well, we're talking about it. I mean, I remember way back before the Euros, you had a, a grin on your face when we were doing predictions saying, I, I think, I think uh, Denmark, you know, might, I might, you might have said quarters onwards. You're fairly confident. Has there been a sense uh, for a while that this is the country's time? I don't know. I don't know whether where it stacks up in terms of everyone talks about a golden generation or whatever. Where does this cohort st- stack up in terms of um, all your different cohorts in Denmark? And was there a hope that it wasn't just the Euros that this was building towards something that could kick on like it has since? Uh, it, it's been a long process. Um, you know, I think it's it's a similar thing. Um, to what you, you you saw in Belgium as well, uh, you know, a, a total restructure, of, you know, 10, 15 years ago of the development system. And I think, you know, Denmark, when I was playing, you know, our under 21s, our under 19s, we, we, we never used to, you know, get anywhere near, uh, you know, any top level. Uh, we, we were just, you know, a team in the qualifiers. But you could sort of see three, four years ago that the, the Danish under-19s, the under-21s were suddenly in and amongst England, in and amongst Germany. You know, they went to the semi-final in, in the recent under-21 team and lost to Germany in a penalty sh- uh, penalty shootout. Uh, you know, so it's been coming. But, but again, to take that step to the next level, it, it's still... Uh, another hurdle, but, uh, you know, you've got to give that development, uh, I think all the credit, um, you know, that it's taken 10, 15 years, but now we see the product, uh, of that. And, uh, that, that's why, you know, they, they keep adding players, even Ericsson, obviously losing on paper, the best player that Denmark have, and, and it hasn't really affected the team. Amazing stuff. Great stuff. We'll see how they go. They will qualify, whether that's this week or not, is yet to be determined. But uh, a team that was a fairy tale for, for well-known reasons during the Euros, but played good football, had a great experience spine, and looks to have kicked on since. So a great journey to keep watching. And it's been great to be able to follow your emotions through the journey too, Tony. So we'll, we'll see how that goes over the next little while. Nations League final, gents. I, I really enjoyed the climax of the Nations League. It's a competition we've just been getting used to over the last few years. We've been able to show it on Optus Sport. But France's win over Spain was a top-notch 
top-notch climax to the tournament. Obviously, uh, Kylian Mbappe with the controversial winner late on after uh, a mad couple of minutes where Benzema's incredible goal counts out Oyasabal's opener. Bridgie, your just synopsis of this game, your take out of it, uh, France, worthy winners or, or not? Take out of the game. The game was so entertaining. I mean, the first half, it was the, the tactics of trying to cancel each other out. You know, France were letting Spain have the ball to a certain degree. And then at moments, they would go and do the high press. And then they'd let them have control of the game again and get numbers back behind the ball. I just thought it was absolutely fascinating. Mbappe wasn't having the greatest of, of games. Mm-hmm. Um, you could see a little bit of frustration creeping in to his, um, you know, during the game himself with a few n- nasty challenges where it was frustration. But overall, the concept, like you say, of the Nations League, the competitiveness that it's a new, you know, the, the tournament when it was first thought about, you know, there was a lot of, oh, there's more games to come. But I'll tell you what, the two semifinals and the final, if it's anything to go by, um, it's just been absolutely superb. Uh, and I just thought the final was, it, 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 I don't think France deserved it because of the controversy surrounding that goal. The extra time should have benefited because they've played the game for many, many years. We have, you know, after games, there's all these new rules every season come out from referees and, and governing bodies and things. And to think that Gossier has made that slide. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know where Mbappe is. Gossier mm-hmm. slid across from the through pass. He's trying to cancel out the ball because he cannot see what is behind him. The other players in the Spanish line can. They've got that offside trap. They've got it spot on. They've got it. The line was in unison. And that's what you work on. You work on it day in, day out with your with your staff and your players. And they caught him offside. Now, for Garcia to slide and to try and intercept the ball and touch it, and then the referee to say, yep, it's now the second phase of play. For me, it's an absolute load of crap. Mm-hmm. Because have you just got to let the ball go through and then not know where the player is actually onside or offside? Mentally, you can't do that. It's impossible. You cannot do that because you don't know whether that player is onside or offside. So for me, it's that is the only downside of this result that has been a fantastic tournament um, and you know we saw a world-class goal from Benzema straight away after Spain went ahead for France to show the resolve that they showed against Belgium to come back and the way they had the resolve to change their game plan um, and come straight back into against Belgium unbelievable and against Spain but to be tarnished with this kind of stuff Tommy I mean even as a goalkeeper yourself you see that you see the game from a total different angle this must just pee you off something rotten mate this rule yeah, because you know you take your position off off the first ball, and and, and again, you you can't anticipate a second phase. You know that that's that's mm. you know you 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 have to see what's what's the the present situation is, and obviously Garcia and the rest of the back line feel they have it under control, and and then. You Tommy, know, just can I just interrupt you there one moment? Yeah. The Garcia slide when he slid and actually touched it, the ball must have moved about a centimeter. Yeah, and it hasn't yeah, changed it, the direction. It, 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 if Garcia had a slid, hit the ball back, and let's say it came off um, Busquets and then went back towards his own goal, and Mbappe is in an offside position, I can, I can understand that one. If it's a kind of he changed the direction back towards the way Spain are playing, and then Busquets has actually knocked it back, and Mbappe is in an offside position. This was a through ball where he's actually offside, and it hasn't changed it. So that's where I think it is completely wrong. So sorry, Tommy. Yeah, you know, again, it, it, it's just one of those, you know, gray areas of the rule. And, and you know, I like it simple. You know, I think uh, if you're offside, you're offside and, and, and all these second phases, third phases, uh, you know, it just complicates everything. Uh, and 
you know, we it was. I thought I, I agree with you, Bridget. I thought it was a great game, a little bit cagey to start with, but but opened up. And 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 how great is it to see, you know, France the way they tend to play a little bit rigid. You know, to see them play end to end football with, with with the players that both teams have, and and uh, and then from the Spanish side to see a young player like Gavi coming through, mm-hmm. uh, youngest player ever to to represent Spain. Um, you know, it, 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 the game had just had so so much and, and so much promise as well for the future. You know, even France, you know, they didn't have Kante, but, you know, to Amini, you have Kunde, uh, you know, young players taking over. And, um, you know, it's exciting, I think. Um, you know, I think the difference was, the difference was in that game, the X factor. Mm-hmm. It, it, you know, Spain, they play great. I think they still lack that you know, that cutting edge striker, you know, we, we, we saw it a little bit at the Euros. Um, and, and I think we saw it again, that the France, that's where they have the edge uh, over Spain and over a lot of countries with obviously Mbappe and Benzema. And that's what I was going to say there. You've got to credit Didier Deschamps. So what he's done to get Benzema back because at club level, he's been inspirational for Real Madrid. He's still, I still don't know how he doesn't get the recognition from certain pundits, uh, ex-footballers around the world that will appreciate what he's all about. There's a lot of journalists and it's no offense, Dave Wiener, but he still doesn't get the highest accolades because of the, you know, the, the media background that he's had scrutiny with, mm. with his time with France. But Didier Deschamps put that aside. He knew what he wanted. He said, I'm getting him back. And he, he was fresh and hungry to play international football. And I think he's just flourished from it. And he, he's, he, that goal was just absolutely incredible the way he conjured up himself. But then from one end of the field to the other, I've got to say the captain of France, Oris. Um, did he have the armband for that game? Sorry. Yep. Yeah. Yep. No, he's had that. Yeah. Yeah. He's had yeah. that. He, he was just absolutely brilliant. The saves he had to make late on in that game to, to give his country and get his country the win. Marvellous. So top end of the field, other end of the field, that is where they had them outdone. It was the quality in the final third for France um, and Loris, the captain at the back. Yeah. It felt like, and with Loris, the saves. You got. It just felt like it felt like big stakes. It actually felt yeah. like it felt like dramatic moments. It had an elevation to the rest of the games we've been watching with the World Cup qualifiers. Sorry, Tom. Yeah, yeah. No, again, uh, you know, we 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 can't get around uh, uh, Lloris. I think you know he gets stick from from time to time. We we remember the you know even though they won, he made that mistake in the World Cup final, and there has been other mistakes. And but he always uh, he always comes up big. Uh, you know, even that. You know when they went to the Champions League final with Tottenham, you know he saved them in a, in in a fair few games uh, leading up to that. Uh, I think he's top quality keeper. And, so, uh, so the question, but, but I gotta say, say, question of you saying top oh, quality keeper, Tommy. You've mentioned Tottenham Champions League. I can't see Tottenham getting back to the Champions League final with Loris in this current time. Is it time if you're winning things at international level like he is? I would suggest for for his future, what club could he go to in if he was going to move to get that? Trophy cabinet, because um, I think he, he'd be mad if he did want to leave Tottenham at this moment in time, because he's good enough to go to the top clubs. Yeah, but I, I think he then comes off to, you know, what opportunities are out there. You know, you know, I don't know what is open, because you, you're looking at definitely in England, all the, the top clubs are, you know, are, I think well stocked with goalkeepers. Uh, do you look abroad? Um you know, even in Spain, you look in Italy. Uh, so, so I think it's 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 tough. Even though he is a world class keeper, I think it, it's still tough. And and you got to say, like you are a Tottenham fan, Bridgie. Uh, let's hope Tottenham turning around. You know, 
Uh, I think they've got some a few things to sort out, but but again, they're you know they're they're not a million miles away, but they I, I agree. He not, won't win anything not, while he's at Tottenham, believe you me, Tommy. <laughs> okay, <laughs> all right, you said it. You said Let's it. But re- just back, yes, back to yes. the the nation nation Nations League uh, final. Uh, I have to say that that goal Benzema scored is one of the best goals I've seen, back to front. You know how it was played yeah. out, Greek Griezmann's. Uh, Griezmann's touch on the sideline to play it into the middle, uh, switch of, of play, and then obviously the individual brilliance. Um, that was a top, top class goal. One of the best goals I've and, seen. And this the manner they did it after going straight behind, you'd be, you'd be, you know, you'd be down anyway. They were, that's when teams say they're at the most vulnerable when they switch off after a goal. Um, and France just exploited that to the best of their ability. I agree with you, Tommy. Sensational. And how often do France get criticised for their character? And here in, in both yeah. these games, they came back from behind. <laughs> yeah. So it's good to see that. And on the Mbappe-Benzema connection, uh, Mbappe has assisted Benzema in four of the last five games for France. So I wonder whether uh, Real Madrid's hierarchy just sitting back watching that, just licking their lips a little bit. Because you do wonder with Mbappe, you mentioned, Bridget yourself, that he, he didn't have a particularly good game, but no. stepped up in the big moment. Um, and, you know, after a couple of seasons in, uh, in, in France, he will finish this season. It, it, you feel like for him, it's his time to st- sort of step up and, and, yeah. and, and prove himself at that highest level. And maybe this partnership will be one that we see for club and country. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he, he's seen the likes of Haaland coming on and Haaland every week we are speaking about him and people all around the world about how many, how good he is, how consistent he is. And Bappe for me, there's still that, that question mark, can he do it in, um, in the games all of the time. I haven't seen the same kind of consistency that you get from your Messi's, from your Ronaldo's, from from your Haaland's. So it's about time he does. And, and the thing I find about him is when it's not going his way, he has got that... That's something there it's where it just strop. looks like he's going. Yeah, he can go stroppy or he's just going to go over the edge and go over the boil. But then again, what I do credit... Didier Deschamps didn't take him off because that game he could have quite easily done that because the ball was bouncing off him. He had faith in them because you just never know what these quality key players can win you games single-handedly. And for the game that Mbappe actually had, when he got in that one-on-one moment, a lot of players would have missed that because they would have been feeling down. He showed the true character and the quality that he does possess. And I think that comes with maturity. So maybe, maybe a move away, playing against tough opposition week in, week out may do him the world of good. And it's interesting because you say as he probably had that consistency when he first burst onto the scene and was destroying everybody. Want to walk yeah. up as a teenager? And pre- but, pressure's a big thing, Dave. But now to yeah. keep that up, yes. to keep that consistency yes. up at a young age, has been many yes. a player has come on and and been lost in the wilderness. Um, it's only the few and far between that go on to be them elite that we talk about and say these are up there with the best players that have ever been in the world. Yeah, he agree. Agree, Tom. Speaking of young players, you mentioned Gavi a bit earlier. Spain, you mentioned they're like a cutting edge, but in terms of where they are, in terms of having a young, young squad with a pathway down to December 2022, they, if you wanted to have a sneaky early bet now, I reckon... I reckon Spain might be a decent shout. They look like they're in terms of timeline. Luis Enrique has them tracking quite nicely. Yeah, no, you, you got to be positive. Uh, you, you obviously Pedri uh, is still there. You know, you got Pino, uh, young another young player from Villarreal. Uh, you know, just young players, uh, and, and they seem to now. I think I think that the Euros did them a lot of good. Um, you know, they they had a little bit of adversity, you know, early on, but you know they got through it. Uh, you know, could could should maybe have beaten Italy. Um, 
And um, so, so they're not far off. And here they, they obviously took uh, France, uh, you know, all the way. So, you know, with, 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 the, with the age, they're only going to get better. And I think that's what Luis Enrique's big smile is all about, is that, yeah. uh, you, know, if they, you know, if they can just find a consistent goal scorer, uh, yeah. Oyasabala, I think, I think has shown, uh, you know, that, that he can do the job. Um, but, you know, where do they stand next year with that? I think that's the only question because we know they can play and we know they've got good youngsters and, and uh, they're still fairly solid, good goalkeeper. So, um, can Ferran Torres kick well on? Yes, he can. Yeah. But can, he, can he be that number nine? I'm not sure if he can be that number nine regular goal scorer. Tommy's talking about some of, you know, like David Villa that they've never, I don't mm. think they've ever had mm. that kind of striker. Torres was Torres. fantastic um, as yeah, well. And, yeah, but not to say they've just that there's been that lack of cutting edge. And I think sometimes, it, like, the, I, I feel the balance that Enrique has at this time with youth and experience is brilliant because the way that they are getting mentored by, like, by a Busquets and players like that, it's, it's, it's very clever what he's doing. And there's something going on in the Spanish um, women's game as well because their national team has just come from absolutely nowhere with a young set of players that are, for me, um, are going to shock the world in the Women's World Cup as well. Did you make, what did you guys make of, well, first of all, um, Italy beat Belgium. Uh, are, are Belgium ever going to win a trophy with this generation? I mean, this no. seems like a, no? No, they are the Tottenham <laughs> of international football, Dave. So that's an uh, I, I, I think defensively, I think, you know, they, you know, we're looking at all the, you know, the, the, the stars they have up front, but, uh, you know, I see an aging back line yep. and I just don't see uh, enough, coming through to, um, you know, to make them uh, a, a top, top, top side, because, you know, looking at it, that's what you have to have. You've got to, you've got to have a, a, a solid spine uh, in those tight games. And I just, and, and, and De, De Bruyne, Lukaku, you know, the, you can see them also. I saw that that interview with De Bruyne, it just looked a little bit deflated, a little bit sort of, uh, you know, maybe our time has gone. And when you start thinking those thoughts, then, you know, it, t- it seems to be a slippery slide. If you'd have said slope, when they were 2-0 so. up, when they were 2-0 up in that, that game, was it 2-0? Was it the goal yeah. they went 2-up, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, thank you, Dave. Against, I, against I, France. I've seen that much football. Yeah, against France. When they're 2-0 up, you're thinking, oh yeah. my God, here we go, right? And the way they played in that first half, they, it, you know, it was very, very even. The second half, when they came out, I looked at Belgium and they're protecting this 2-0 lead. And they just invited pressure. I know France changed their tactics up a bit, but surely Martinez and the, play, the quality of players and the understanding of the football education that they have got, they shouldn't have allowed that to happen. There is no way that should have happened because they just basically went and tried to, to shut shop. Now, for me, that, that's, that is not what is going to get you um, through, that, through that match. Nicolo Barella and uh, Dominic Berardi, their goals were the difference 2-1 over Belgium in that third-place playoff. Did, what did you make of Thibaut Courtois' comments? Because I guess we started off at the top of the show saying that um, we've loved the Nations League. It's actually added a really nice competitive edge to the international calendar, takes away the frivolity of friendlies, different level to World Cup qualifiers, but he's complained about sort of um, the expectation and the workload on players. Um, and I would normally think he's got a, he's got a point, but I, I, I kind of... I'm not sure I agree with him on this one. Where do you guys stand? What, what about what do you think, Thomas? You know, it's you know, it's it's, it's a little bit like the you know the the player for third place at the World Cup a little bit, but you know, again, you know, he can't really complain because if he hadn't played the Nations League, he would have played three games in the World Cup qualifiers, yeah. and now he ends up just playing two. 
So, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of prestige and, and I quite like, you know, because I, I had a bit of worry that the Nations League was going to be a sort of a, a bad version of, of the Europa League or yeah. like Conference League. And, 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 and by doing this, they're actually saying, no, this is serious. Like we got the four best teams in Europe on paper. Uh, and we're going to rank them. You know, we, everyone, you're going to play for placings. Um, and again, it's an international window. So, you you know, <laughs> normally you would have played three games. We're going to play two. We've got to make, you know, we've got to give the fans what they want. And, and you know, I, 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 don't, I can't really see why you should complain. You know, you should be, uh... I think Courtois is being caught up in the heat of the moment from losing the third and fourth place playoff. Um, the lack of, you know, it was a very, very quick turnaround. Um, that's why I thought Spain would have would have got the the win because they had the extra time um, in the game over France with the turnaround. Courtois, I think, is being caught out there with with his comments in the heat at the moment after the game peed off. But what the, what the Nations League? When you look at the bigger picture, Tommy's just said there the Nations League was brought in to get rid of these dull, boring friendlies mm-hmm. that nobody mm-hmm. watched and mm-hmm. nobody wanted to play. And a lot of the a lot of the international teams used to get together for friendlies. And I'll tell you what, even I mean, even when I was playing for the youth levels, twenty um, ones, when there was friendlies, you were kind of like, oh god, the manager would come up to you, Peter Reid, and say, do you do you really want to go to this? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, stay back with our team. It's you know, and you were kind of I was caught in a horrible situation. I want to represent my country, but the manager, Peter. Reed was saying, like, don't go to this, you know, silly little friendly, um, blah blah. We'll we'll keep you back and say there's a bit of a niggle. That shouldn't happen. Now the Nations League, however, I think to bring the international competitiveness to the to the instead of friendlies, it's absolutely sensational. But Courtois' comments were directed at, I think, the World Cup concept of every two years, the Euros. That you know, taking just all that speculation around the the more money generated. Mm. I think he's just got a little bit caught up. I, I like what he's saying. He's thinking about the players' welfare, but I uh, I think the timing um, hasn't done him, done him the world of good. Yeah. We are not robots, he said. And I think the thing that yeah. gets also lost with the um, Nations League concept is what it's done for the smaller nations, where they can actually enjoy the taste of a, of a, of a win, a competitive win against their level. And that's actually probably brought the bottom up when it comes to these groups yeah. now for World Cup and Euro qualifying, where they're actually able to you know, flex a little bit more. They know and, how to win a game a little bit more. So I think it's been a terrific Dave, concept. Dave, what I was saying there, obviously, about me um, getting caught in between the club international basis, I think what you 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 got a lot more of over the years. The, the international, especially with England, um, cottoned on to what was actually going on for some players not turning up when they were when they were, were meant to be there. You had to actually go physically and see the medical team at the international base and the camp and turn up. And then if you were ruled out by the physio and the doctors, then you'd be sent back to your clubs. That they cottoned on to what was going on for some of them friendly games that um, were were meaningless basically. Last word on on the tournament. We didn't talk much about Italy. We did spend all of June and July waxing lyrical over them. Uh, they'll be fine. Um, it was just a, a fine margin. And as uh, I think um, Roberto Mancini said, you know, they actually had a really tough game against Spain in the Euros itself. So this result that ended their streak was no shock. But uh, you know, I think they, as well as the teams we saw here in the Nations League, they'll be they'll be there or thereabouts again in in a year's time. They're they're, they're doing just fine. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I, I think you know, they got there. You know, again, we're talking about the spine, and I think uh, Mancini has, has built a, a great group. Uh, you can just again see the smiles on their faces. Uh, now they've got the backing of the nation as well, because um, that's that's a thing you got to consider about Italy. You know, they, you know, it can quickly turn into turmoil uh, if they if 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 the public is not behind the team. And uh, I think the Euro showed that 
that they've got uh, a huge uh, amount of uh, quality that they can build on. And yes, you know, you got to lose at some point. Uh, I think they were just probably annoyed that they played at home uh, and they could have had a fantastic final uh, in in their home country. So, uh, you know, that, that's a bit of a downer. But overall, as you said, we're looking forward to to the World Cup. They're, they'll be up there. Mm. Tommy, I've got to disagree. I think they're going to go on a 37 um, streak where they get beat every game. Um, I just don't see the quality in their squad, the manager or anything. <laughs> okay, but I'll I'll I'll, um, I'll get the wager on that now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Not a chance. They, don't you worry. When a team goes on and does what, what Italy have done under Mancini, Tommy talked about at the top of the podcast, when you get that culture and you get that togetherness, Italy have got it in abundance and Mancini has given them that belief. Um all the players he has brought in, all the different systems. He's given them a, a DNA now that they are not just known for the Italian teams in the past to be this tough defensive unit where they just nullify other teams and then moments of brilliance from people like Baggio and Del Piero would win them games. No, this is a, this is a team and this is a club, cult, a national team that has an unbelievable identity and culture. Um, so they're going to be absolutely fine. Indeed, indeed. You know who will also be fine is Germany. They are, as we mentioned at the top, the first team through to the World Cup in Qatar, other than Qatar themselves, of course, courtesy of a 4-0 win over North Macedonia, which we mentioned uh, is a nice symbol, guys, of how they've progressed from the Yogi Lowe era into the Hansi Flick era. Things are all of a sudden looking a lot brighter for them. They have got players coming through. They have got a nice identity. And under Hansi Flick, they're playing, Tommy, again, some good football, even though today it did take them some time in the first half. They were better in the second half. But Germany in the new era already, it just feels different. You know, you know, Bridget said with, with, uh, with Italy, I think it's a similar thing that's, that's happening uh, with Germany. You know, you got, you know, obviously a, a club manager, uh, Hansi Flick, who's, who's uh, just freshened things up a little bit. Uh, a lot of the players uh, know him from, from Bayern Munich, know his system. He's brought through, uh, you know, some youngsters, uh, you know, Musiala now, you know, is doing really well, scored again, I think this morning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you see the likes of uh, Sane, you know, Timo, Timo Werner scoring. So that, that, that must be, uh, you know. Uh, That's a good sign. <laughs> That's good management. Yeah. Uh, you know, so, so, you know, all those things, uh, you know, I think he just, again, got a, a really good spine. He's changed the back line a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say that uh, the board, the talk about youth Klosterman and Room, the two fullbacks, I think they've been, you know, a great little, a great addition to the German national team and what, what they've given. They're just full of energy, full of, full of enthusiasm. And, you know, that back line, I think today was nobody was over 26. So that, that's superbly impressed. Well, obviously, Neuer, I, I categorise as the goalkeeper, mm-hmm. Tommy, outside of that, apologise. Um, Kimmich in that mid field quality uh, Goretzka full of energy mm. uh, in Gnabry and Havertz you've got pace to burn and like you say team of Werner brilliant if he gets goals um, that's a huge plus so I think Hansi Flick's given them given them definitely a, a whole new lease of life rather than listening to Yogi Love all the time yeah, exactly. And even besides your, your, your Moolers and your Royces, the rest of the, the, the attacking options are actually really exciting and a blend yeah. of um, skill and speed coming through. So I think they're in good hands now. Um, a lot of interesting stuff happening this morning as well, though. Uh, very, very tasty group involving the Netherlands. They beat Gibraltar 6-0. But at the same time, Turkey, a last gasp win Latvia 2-1 to keep their hopes alive. But also in that group is simmering is Norway. Uh, and they beat Montenegro 2-0. But as I look for the table for that group, what is fascinating is the Netherlands have a two-point advantage over Norway. 
but they play each other on the final match day. So this is one that is simmering really nicely. Memphis with nine goals for the campaign. Uh, Bridgie, he's... Louis van Gaal st- uh, st- um, defended him in the press this week because obviously he's starting to get some criticism along with, you know, uh, s- s- um, Frankie de Jong and, and Ronald Koeman at, at Barcelona. Um, but this group is going to go down to the wire and uh, it's pretty hard to pick, but uh, it'd be great to see the Netherlands back at a World Cup in it, wouldn't it? Yeah, it certainly would be. And I mean, Dave, that game this morning against Gibraltar, it could have been 20 nil. I was watching it, you know, the shots, I think there was 30 plus shots for for um, for the Netherlands. It was incredible. And in this possession, um, 83% possession, Dave, it's just, it's obscene. It was one way of traffic. Gibraltar just, you know, hanging in there, sitting in there, trying to have damage limitation. But what, what it does set up is like you say, to, to see Netherlands back um, and what they are doing at this moment in time is very, very good. Um, and you've you know you've got to credit what has been going on there um, in the job that Van Gaal has, has gone in and actually done because I'm, I'm not a big fan of him. Um, I, I shouldn't I shouldn't be too drunk. He's got trophy cabinets, but you know everywhere he goes, he seems to upset people. The, the, the arrogance of the of the man, and he upset Bobby Robson when he was at Barcelona. So any man that upsets Sir Bobby um, is not a friend of mine. But they're doing great things, like you said, Depay getting his two goals, um, and De Jong's in there. It was good to actually see one of my favourite players in Ginny Van Alden because when he's at Liverpool, absolutely loved him. When he was at Newcastle United, loved him. He's gone to Paris Saint-Germain for the dollar. He's not getting the game time. He's not enjoying his experience there and international level he's, he's playing and he's just shown his, his quality. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if the if we see Newcastle United try and get this man <laughs> back to, to, to St. James's Park with the new money that they've got. Oh, watch this space. Netherlands, 19 points. Norway, 17 points. Turkey, 15 points. Oh, that group could come down to Erling Haaland versus Virgil van Dijk on the final day of qualifying. Yeah. Look out for that one. Fascinating. Two else is in a bit of trouble, Tommy, is um, Croatia. They've gone two points behind Russia after their two-all draw with Slovakia this morning. Luka Modric did score, but um, they are in a They've got a bit of work to do to get that top spot. And a reminder for all the listeners, obviously the top spots all go through, but then the runner-ups and two other teams that haven't qualified via the Nations League will go into a playoff system in March, and there's only three spots up for grabs. So the stakes for the teams like Croatia, they're massive right now. Yeah, I think we, you know, again, uh, they're going through a, a bit of change. Uh, obviously, Rakicic is, is not there anymore. Uh, Mansukic uh, is not there. And, and uh they seem to just have lost a bit of momentum. Uh, Modric is hanging in there. He scored a free kick, a little bit lucky. He went through the wall this morning, but uh, you know he still saved them. Uh, and we still, you know, we saw the Euros that they're just lacking that magic that they had during the the the, the Russia World Cup. And uh, yeah, it's going to go down to the wire. You know, we've got obviously Russia two two point advantage and. Uh, you just don't want to end up in those playoffs. I think that, that mm-hmm. anything can happen there. Mm-hmm. And uh, Croatia, I, I just don't have that much confidence in them right at this moment in time. Anything can happen. You're right. I mean, we just look at Italy last time, where's that that playoff they were against Sweden, and you know they ended up in their darkest day in their history. So it's not a rule that you want to be a part of. Although, Bridgie, right now Wales would probably take that. They're trying to hang on to get that second spot in their group. Uh, Kiefer Moore goal. They were able to hang on for a one 0 win at Estonia. So their group. They're on 11 points level with the Czech Republic. They have a game in hand on the Czech Republic. But unfortunately, one of their games to come is against Belgium. 
the table leaders in that group. And obviously they didn't play their games in this window because of the um, Nations League final. So Wales will be hoping they can pull off a miracle and make it to the playoff stage. I'll tell you what, Dave, if they've got nothing to lose um, Wales and they go into that game with the mindset, knowing that they can upset Belgium the way that France showed, if you go and press them and don't let them play out and you've got the courage to try and leave yourself exposed with Lukaku one-on-one at the back and you put numbers forward, they would have taken a lot of... Um, there's a lot of positives for Wales to take out of them games, watching Belgium, the way that they they, they hadn't kind of gone and dominated the, the matches in the way that they wanted. So, listen, Kiefer Moore getting the goals, the Welsh Dragons, they will be fired up, mate, and um, they'll give themselves every opportunity because they, this game... Kiefer Moore got himself a goal. There was a lot of question marks. He had to had to produce. He did. And they hung on second half. Estonia threw everything at Wales and they've given themselves a chance. So listen, don't just because it's Belgium and um they they're up there in the the rankings, they, this game's gonna be fascinating. And I I'm um, I'm hoping the Welsh can get a result. I never thought I would say that. There you go. There's plenty to watch on Wednesday morning. If you're listening to us on uh, on Tuesday afternoon, uh Portugal, 5.45 a.m. Australian Eastern Daylight Time host Luxembourg, uh, picking out the pick of the games. Um, and, of course, we mentioned a bit earlier, Denmark hosting Austria for that crucial game. Could be a historic game, get through to the World Cup as well. But, Bridgie, I wanted to come back to you again because England host Hungary at 5.45 Australian Eastern Daylight Time in uh, at Wembley. And uh, England are in a good position. They cannot qualify tomorrow. They need to win two more, but they're on 19 points in a group ahead of Albania, Poland, Hungary, Andorra, and San Marino. Uh, they are, uh, Albania are on 15 points. This is an interesting game. And I liked what Gareth Southgate said in his press conference before the game. He said, every time I make a selection, I'm committing a crime because of the players I have to leave out. And uh, whilst you can't learn a hell of a lot from uh, a win against old Andorra that features goals from Ben Chilwell, Saka, Tammy Abraham, James Will-Prowse, and Jack Grealish, what it did raise is a bit of a scenario of does he fit all his players in when it comes to international level by maybe having a look at Phil Foden a bit more centrally and a little bit deeper. Um, obviously, he's done such great things a bit wider for both City and England, but that's been the big talking point back back at, back in your back at your home over in England after that win because uh, he's just well, Foden's just producing wherever you put him. Yeah, you just put a smile on my face. Every time I talk about England at this moment in time over the last few years, it's just been been a special um, topic of subject, which used to give me so many years of hurt. But Southgate and the team, Dave, is, it's just magnificent at this moment in time. I mean, 10 changes to go into that game. And like Southgate said, he gives himself a headache every time because the players are getting opportunities. Um, I looked at the, the England bench or the squad, and I'm just thinking it's just full of quality talent and it's very very exciting times and um, the game against Hungary I mean listen the the, the um, I'll give Denmark a wrap they never they haven't conceded a goal we've conceded two goals England so it's not as good as Denmark but I'll tell you what it is a very formidable outfit and the, the big one for me putting in a championship goalkeeper in Sam Johnson to come in and get his get his um, international cap and keep a clean sheet. That for me, when you're leaving out um, when you're leaving out Pickford and you're leaving out Ramsdale as well, it it just shows how he's keeping this this squad together mm. um, and, and what he's been able to do. And like you say, Phil Foden playing a different position. Dave, I'm not going to go on too much about this guy I, because I could talk about him for 24 hours. There is not a the only position he can't play is goalkeeper. You put him anywhere else on the field, he he can adapt. He's He's got a. If he was in music, music would be saying he's Mozart. He's got a brain of Einstein in football, and I think the education that he has got 
um, through following Pep Guardiola has taken him to a new level. And you think of the upbringing he had. He was watching David Silva in training and competing against that kind of player for several years. Um, I just, he's brilliant. He can play anywhere. And he was talked about a quarterback mm. like Tom Brady then passes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's just the vision he has. He can beat players one-on-one. You don't know if he's going to go inside or outside. We know he's predominantly left-footed. But if you're given time and space to get his head up, he can play them passes. If you get tight to him, he can twist and turn you inside out. And he's got an engine that can run all day long. So he he, he is, everybody raves about Jack Grealish, um, Harry Kane. For me, everything should be geared up around Phil Foden for the next few years for England and um, what, what he's capable of doing. Well, that's, that's high praise. And, and is that possibly in the position we saw him on the on, on the on the weekend, which allows so on the weekend allowed Southgate to play Sancho and Saka further forward in one of those positions that Foden would have played. Do you like the quarterback aspect to it? That's where he can uh, write all these Mozart scores, so to speak. <laughs> you know, can I, I you know give my take on? It? I, I still think you know I think it's exciting that that you try new formations and and obviously it's against a lesser opponent. I still think Southgate has a has a problem. Uh, with fitting, as you said, all these players mm. in. Uh, you know, he, he tried uh, only a few games ago, Trent uh, Alexander-Arnold in midfield as well. Well, that failed miserably. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and again, as you say, Foden is a great player. He could have played him left back and it would have still looked pretty good. Uh, but, you know, what I'm sort of looking at is when you come to the World Cup, what are you going to play? Because he, mm. he tends to play with two sixes. Where does that leave the combination? Um, mm. You know, you know, we saw at the Euros, uh, obviously Foden, for, for some reason, started the first couple of games. Then he, he fizzled out and, and didn't really have a big impact. Uh, Grealish, uh, Mason Mount, you know, do you only play with Declan Rice as the holding midfielder? I think, you know, that that's where he needs to find out uh, his strongest 11. And, and he's, he's obviously got time and he's trying things, but it, that's going to be his issue. Uh, and, and does he want to sort of, express or have his team express themselves a little bit more by by playing only with a one six and then you you potentially put a Foden in alongside Mason Mount uh in that midfield. Yeah I'm 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 it's gonna be interesting to follow. Good stuff. Great stuff interesting to also see just before we move on. Um good to see Tammy Abraham coming back to life Bridgie. And I would have never thought in a million years going to work with Jose Mourinho at Roma would be the catalyst for that. But uh, good to see. And then Southgate, as you said, keeping everyone happy. He's rewarded him. Yeah. He's given him a start. And uh, all of a sudden, you develop your depth. Maybe Mourinho has understood how a man manage players finally <laughs> and give them that confidence booster for the youngsters to go hey, on and we're, do we're t- we're- 10 games in, Bridget. It's only 10 games. Yeah, All it's, right. It's still got time to destroy him. <laughs> All right. But no, Tammy, Tammy, it just shows the mentality. Like, uh, what I respect about that with Tammy Abraham, he has thought, you know what it is, a competition for places. I'm not just going to sit here and pick up my money. I'm a young lad. I need to get first team football. He's being offered that in a different continent, um, in a different country, sorry. And what, what that will do, again, for his football education, um, there's not many players have gone over and cracked it in Italy from England. Um, you know, I remember watching Gaza on the every every weekend playing for Lazio, and um, that gave him a whole new dimension to his game. This will help Tammy Abraham's overall football, and like you say, Southgate's recognised that, given the opportunity, um, and it's 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 also shown lads that you don't have to play in the Premier League mm-hmm. to be given mm-hmm. the call ups, which I think is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and credit to Tammy for for going ahead and taking on that challenge with Mourinho, who he would have known 
has, you know, not the greatest thing of developing the youngsters and kind of shell-shocking them. So he's doing something right. Good stuff. We'll see how they go on Wednesday morning on Sport. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Changing pace. Well, we've got something to look forward to on the weekend on Optus Sport with Newcastle against Tottenham at 2.30 a.m. Australian Eastern Daylight Time. The Bridgie Derby has taken on a fairly different look and feel. There's a lot of unknowns. Will Steve Bruce still be the manager of Newcastle United by the time this game rolls around? By the way, he's on 999 managerial games. Can they give him one more just to get to the 1,000 or are they going to come in with the hard call straight away? Got two good men to discuss this, obviously having spent a lot of time in the region during their careers. And Bridgie, as a, uh, you know, we'll, we'll just come to you off the top in this discussion. We, we've known about this for a while. We spoke about it last year. But now that it's happened, you've had a bit of time to digest it. How are you feeling about this takeover, the £305 million takeover of Newcastle United? Let's just get it. It's never gone away, Dave. Um, And I I said on numerous occasions throughout the last few years, whenever there has been a transfer window, the speculation comes up of Newcastle having to take over bid. So what it does, it smokescreens Mike Ashley and the club's financial situation regarding signing players. Everybody goes, oh, we're getting a takeover. As soon as the window ends, the takeover is not happening and everybody has been kind of sidetracked away from the transfer window, hoping that they would, the club would get taken over. And they became wise to it. They were like, oh, here we go. It's another takeover. This has come out of the win- outside of the transfer window. Um, and when I saw the, my mate sent me a text message of the, the plane manifest that was coming into Newcastle Airport and the people that were actually on board that were flying in the private jet. And I thought, hang on, this is, there's something, it's going to happen. This is going ahead. Um, and it did. And I'm absolutely delighted for the region. I'm delighted for the north, the whole of the northeast. I know a lot of Sunderland fans and Middlesbrough fans will be absolutely gutted that this has happened because of the amount of money um, that Newcastle have got. But it's great for the region. It's great for the businesses. It's going to be great for the academy, the kids that are there, because these are heavy hitters. They are coming to spend big. They're going to try and emulate what City have done. They're going to try and emulate what Red Bull have done with all their teams around the world. Um and yes, it comes with baggage. Mm-hmm. The baggage comes because of all the things that have gone on regarding the, the country and regarding the, the firms that are involved. What I will say, Dave, this club was, this consortium were going to buy a football club. And if they were going to buy a football club that I've got an affiliation with, whether it was Newcastle United, whether it's Tottenham Hotspur, or whether it's Leeds or Sunderland, I would not have been bothered because I can see the bigger picture of what this is going to do for all of them clubs on and off the field and let this fans celebrate this because it was a, it's a, it's a huge moment in football and it's a huge moment in history for me. Sorry. Have I caught you off guard there? I almost choked him out. <laughs> you <laughs> fell asleep there, Dave. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's just it's just it's just huge. It's huge. Now the the thing I will, I will say Steve Bruce Steve Bruce is at the top of that question. Yep. Um will he see his, his thousands game is it? No he won't. Not at Newcastle United. Um they were in the I mean even Steve Bruce has basically I think 
kind of half admitted that after his meetings and things. Um, I, I would like to think he will, but will he, will he realistically know? Because I think they've got to make a quick statement and I reckon they've had a couple of months to see who's who's available or who they can potentially buy out of a contract because they can buy anybody out of a contract mm-hmm. um, if they mm-hmm. are willing to take this challenge on. However, the situation Newcastle are in at this moment in time, the players that this team has at their disposal, they've got to get through to January with points on the board. Mm-hmm. And if they don't, then they could be finding themselves in a lot, a lot of trouble getting relegated. Um, if they don't, just because you're going to sign in January doesn't mean you're going to pull this team out of out of um, the the way that they are in. Over to you, Tommy. Yeah, no, yeah, no. As, as uh, you know, as a Sunderland fan, it, it uh, you know, it's it's obviously devastating that those money didn't go to to Sunderland, but it it makes total sense because you know Newcastle have been. Uh, uh, streamlined for the last two or three years to oh, maybe even longer for a sale. You know, they're in a fan, you know, financially fantastic position. You know, they're, they're the ideal takeover, you know, having last three years with, with a surplus on, on the books, uh, obviously not a lot of things spent um, and, and actually has, has done a good job in that respect. Uh, and, and they're taking over the, the I think in Europe, the, the best, opportunity of, of long-term success. They can spend money in the short term because they've got the room within financial fair play. Um, and and then, you know, I, and I agree with you, Bridget. I think short term, it has to be survival. Um, and then I love the I love the way they, they look at it long term. You know, they, they're looking at, okay, five, 10 years, that, that's what we're looking at to, to try to win the Premier League. It's not a quick fix, and uh, we're going to build the facilities. We're going to upgrade, which has which hasn't been upgraded. Uh, you might correct me, Bridget, but I don't think you know uh, actually has done anything to the. It's had bits and bobs that have been developed in in times, yeah, but, but it's, it's nowhere near. Yeah. I mean, the, the actual size of the fields and the indoor facility, um, where the indoor when it when it snows for the indoor, that's superb. But the actual. Yeah, they, like the canteens and the dressing room, it's very, very yeah, boxy. It needs to all be opened up so yeah. that you get a better culture. Yeah, and I quite like that it's taken three years to get this deal done because I, th- there was things that needed to be ironed out. You know, there, there's obviously the human rights issue with Saudi Arabia. Then, then you got the the PIF, the, the fund that that's you know the the big stakeholder. Obviously, what there was issues about their connection to to the state of of Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think now with the timeless and, and the sort of uh, due diligence that's gone into it, I think that is a lot more clear now. And they've stated that there's a clear separation. So I think actually that it comes into now with a lot less question marks, which is good for, for football, which is good for Newcastle as well. And, and then it's all about we can talk about football now. Mm-hmm. We, we, we don't have to talk about all these other things, which we probably would have had if it happened you know, two or three mm-hmm. years ago. Well, and one step at a yeah. time. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but you think what the City Group have done, um, and obviously they've got a connection with the A League. Tommy's been there. He's played for Melbourne City. He's seen what is what is on offer, and how much of a small amount of money it costs to get in a, a Man City up and going in in Melbourne. Uh, and they can use that to help them. If I was at the Newcastle Jets now, Dave, I'll, I'll be ringing Newcastle United and saying, listen, this is a perfect opportunity for you to have some, some change that is in your ashtray of your car to come and buy our club and buy into it and do the similar thing to the City Group. So that would be the first protocol. I'm not getting ahead. Of, I might be getting ahead of myself, but this is the kind of things that you've got to be knocking on doors and, and trying to capitalise mm-hmm. if this is what they are wanting to do. 
I mean, it's an incredible region to finally have some financial muscle muscle behind because it is a sleeping giant in every sense of the word in a football mm-hmm. sense. What you mentioned about the the off field things and the sports washing, which is a, an article on the Off the Sport app, which explains that for you if, you, if you're not across it. But I'm sure our listeners have, have, have read all of that about what you know the off field issues and the the and, and that that comes associated with the purchase. I feel sorry to a little extent that that responsibility has been put on the Newcastle United fans. I think that's a really difficult predicament to ask them to say you know abandon a club that you've sort supporter for your whole life i think that comes down to the premier Dave, league and they've the geordie, got to have no, known the geordie mentality in the area that i am from that will that will not happen no because you saw how many turned up on yeah. the night to go and do it and you know the i i witnessed this with Leeds united the ex-players were banished at Leeds united um we weren't welcome back to that football club and um, we were kind of blamed after ken bates took over and saying that we were kind of the Part, partly to blame for the downfall of Leeds United Football Club. We weren't. We were the players that were getting the money from the football club. It was the way it was financially ran off the field. Mm. So what did, um, you know, Andrea Razzarani, when he came in and took over, the first thing that Andrea did um, with the club was did up the facilities around to get the sponsors back on board, get an affiliation with the fans, bring the ex-players back on board to be ambassadors for the club and go and work the lounges and, and speak to the fans. This is all the things that Newcastle United are talking about now, which mm-hmm. I think, like Tommy said, they've looked at this. They've had time to digest it. What do we have to do? Because Mike Ashley did exactly the same. Shearer wasn't welcome back. Kevin Keegan wasn't welcome back. The stand of Shearer was moved somewhere near the toilets and things like that. It was just, it, it was all about Mike Ashley doing a business. So this is why the fans are going hallelujah. And the ex-players, once they get them behind them, they can go out and do the social media presence. This is just... It's going to generate momentum and the, the fans will not do that because of so many years of hurt, Dave. Yeah. And by the way, and just to finish that point before, it's the Premier League's responsibility. This is Correct. Newcastle fans. Mm. This is their yeah. moment in the sun. They can yeah. enjoy it. And now to put the fantasy hat back on, if Steve Bruce is not going to be there, gents, can you give me the, oh. the caliber of manager Ooh. and the caliber of player? that will be coming in. Because if you remember with Chelsea and with City, there was like that first little rush of signings, you know, we're going to go for Rubinho or we're going to go for Glenn Johnson. I remember that was huge. Yeah. Glenn, I remember when Chelsea <laughs> signed Glenn Johnson and a, and a couple of others on the first day and uh, I think it was a Paolo Ferreira and, and you think, oh, this is cool. And next next thing you know, it's Hernan Crespo and and, and Michael Balak and, and and Didier Drogba and it, it sort of goes like that once there's a bit of success. What's the... What's the strategy in terms of player and manager, um, both in terms of like short term into in, into long term? Go on, Tommy, take uh, it away. Fantasy from, time. Yeah, fantasy time. <laughs> oh, fantasy time. Really, I, I think it all depends on on strategy. I, I think obviously, you know, to you need to get the fans on on board, and and you need to get people dreaming. So you you need to splash a bit. Um, but then on the other hand, you need the the long term uh, plan in place. You you need to do your due diligence on, on managers. Do, do you want a, a young up-and-coming manager who's going to give, be given time to, to build his team? Uh, you know, you can look at a, a Graham Potter or, you know, Marco Rosa or, you know, are you going that way? Or I've heard Antonio Conte's name. Are you going for a, a vastly experienced manager who's probably got a bit of, you know, who can bring in a couple of players in the short term, but is he the long-term answer? So I think, you know, uh, you know, I, I would probably go the, the long way if I was Newcastle, uh, because that's the ambition they've stated. They're, they're you know, they're not going to win the Premier League and they're going to find it difficult to, you know, that they're not in the running for Mbappe and they're not in the running for the, for the biggest players just because of, you know, money is one thing, but, but again, uh, sorry to say, Bridget, uh, we both live there. 
you know, it, it's 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 not London, uh, which probably helped Chelsea a bit. Um, and they're not in champ- they're not in European just- football, Tommy. Players won't sacrifice that yeah. like Mbappe. Senior players will. So the players come at the end of their yeah. career will. And also, I think they they got to then look at the, the, that second. You know, they got to look at Man City squad. You know, I like a Tammy Abraham who's obviously gone to Roma. They got to look at those players, find good young players, uh, maybe an Ake from from Man City. Uh, uh, you know, other players of that stature that can come in, uh, they'll cost a bit of money, but they're not top shelf because you can't compete with that. And then you build from there. Then you you start creeping up the table, mid-table. Then you you start challenging Leicester. Then you overtake Leicester. And, and that's the way. Uh, and then you'll have access to, with your money, you'll have access to to the the the, the, the top shelf of, of players. Uh, so I'm, I'm hoping that they're going to go with a long-term manager and long-term solution. See, I'm the total opposite to you there, Tommy, for the long-term solution. <laughs> okay. I agree with I agree with the things of the financial. No, no, but I'm just on my seat here. You mentioned one man there. So there's a, there's a couple of managers that I hear about. There is um, Eddie Howe sitting there. Um, is yeah. is so is Eddie Howe? Yes, I love him as a as a coach as a manager. Can he handle players? Callum Wilson's there, Fraser's there, Richie's there that he's worked with before from Bournemouth. So that ticks the boxes. Is he in January going to be able to attract superstar players or get? No, I don't think he is. He hasn't got that clout. Um, so I put a cross through his name. Alan Shearer, there's talk about potentially coming back or Steven Gerrard or Frank Lampard. Um, I'd love to see Alan in an ambassador role. Is he the man for the job at this moment in time? I think it's great for the fans. A short-term fix, is it? Possibly not. You mentioned one man there, Conte, and I'll look at it. What Newcastle need at this moment in time is somebody to come in and kick as many arses as he can Get them, get them dying for the shirt. Get them running. That's what he's all about. All right. Now, Conte, even if it is a short-term contract, give them loads of KPIs to keep Newcastle just in the division. And then, what happens when you get to January? He has the clout and I think the 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 reach with his with what mm. he's done in the game to attract players like you were talking about. That are Newcastle will have to look at players that are not playing on high wages, like the talking Coutinho. I'm saying Gini Vinaldum. That's not getting a game. Get them in on as loan players, so, so you're not splashing Coutinho's, out. Coutinho's, Vinaldum's, those types of Vinaldum, them types, types of players. players. You've got Carvani as well, another player at Man United, not getting game time. Striker could be crying out for somebody like him. Van der Beek. Lingard. 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 What about Icardi? Icardi's been linked around. Icardi, this is what I'm talking about. These are yeah. players that are contracted. You don't have to buy them. Newcastle should be looking, I think they will, be looking to bring them in on loan deals till the end of the season, and then they'll have a plan to see who they can sign um, in the in the off-season. And what I've heard from Newcastle, reports are coming out that... Basically, there's only two players that are not available and there's two players at Newcastle United that are rubbing their hands at this moment in time. It's Callum Wilson and it's Sam Maximum. They've been performing, the fans love them and they'll be getting new contracts. Sam Maximum will be signing them up straight away. And the rest of the players, I'll tell you what, everybody for me that I've heard is on notice and will be getting moved on before the end of the season or at, in, at the end of the season. Hey, Bridgie, could they find their, finally find their heir to uh, Alan Shearer with Harry Kane? Oh, there you go. Um, wow. No, nobody nobody will get another statue outside the ground in the number nine department. Many many players in the Premier League have tried to um, emulate what Alan's about and the Englishman, Carrie Kane, is coming close, but no, he's, um, it's, it's going to be very interesting. So 
I just look forward to exciting times for for man. Like I say, I've played for Newcastle. I've played for Sunderland. I'm from the Newcastle region. Um, my dad was a Newcastle fan. I was a Tottenham fan and followed Chris Waddle and Paul Gascoigne yeah. from Newcastle United. Um, I changed my alliance from St. James's Park to White Hart Lane when I followed them players down there. Um, and, you know, my dad had to come and watch me play for Sunderland for five years and he became a fan of Sunderland. He's now no longer with us. He's upstairs um, and he'd be looking down on this moment going, you know what it is? I wish I was still here to see this because it, um, the, the year he passed away, bless him, I'll never forget, I was sat by his bedside and just before he went, he said, what a terrible year to die, son. And I said, dad, any year is a terrible year to die when he was when he was um, had his last 24 hours, he says, no, Newcastle are in the Championship, son. They're not in the Premier League. So he'll be he'll be a very, very proud man up top. Yep, it is a region, Bridgie, that uh, deserves a bit to enjoy their football as, as an outlet and, and, a, and, a, and a way to enjoy life, not to have what they've been through in the last uh, decade or so. So here, 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 here. Um, a nice warm-up this weekend against Tottenham at 2.30 a.m. Do you give, will this project work? This is a nice symbolic game. Do you think a club like Tottenham is a type of club that Newcastle's owners will have ambitions of taking over in how many years, Thomas? Is that realistic? Is it possible? Is that is that the aim? It has to be. Um, and I think it, it all comes down to, to strategy. Uh, you know, you're looking at Tottenham. I, I, you know, I, I keep questioning, and I know Bridget has been raving about it on this, just the, the decisions they make. Um, they just seem to, you know, to fall over their own legs all the time. You know, you're looking already now, there's, there's talks about Nuno and, and his grand Potter and we need to change. And, uh, you know, Daniel Levy, I, I, uh, I don't know what he's doing. Um, it, it just seems like obviously Mourinho, you know, why at that time we were, we were discussing on, on this podcast and it was such a short term, you know, try to fix it within, you know, you know, instant success and, and you knew long-term it was never going to happen. And, uh, you know, look at where they are now, then you, you get Nuno and now you, it has to come back to, to, to the way the club is run. Uh, you know, with the whole Kane saga, what was he promised? What wasn't he promised? Yeah. I, I think Newcastle's got a great chance. If they can get things right, as Bridget said, if, if they feel Conte is the right thing, if they can get something going quick, they can move up the table and overtake, uh, in my opinion, Tottenham fairly quickly because Tottenham just seems to go nowhere. Got any rebuttal to that, Bridget? I've got no comment on the topic about Tottenham Hotspur, <laughs> David. I'm going to give Nuno a little bit more time um, to try and get his get his methods of madness across. Um, it's I think it's still a, a project that they that he he needs. I still think there's a few underlying issues with some of the the players there and the and the respect that they've got for Daniel Levy. Like he Thomas has just said there, there's still I think there's still a divide inside that that dressing room regarding the full trust of what Tottenham as a as a club are about. Okay, well, fascinating game this weekend. Newcastle against Tottenham, two thirty a.m. That is the headline of the weekend, which kicks off with Watford hosting Liverpool at ten thirty p.m. Of course, the times have just changed a little bit with daylight savings and whatnot, but ten thirty p.m. is still an excellent time for that one. Uh, Diego Jota is in a bit of doubt for Liverpool, but Claudio Ranieri he arrives, returns back to the Premier League to take hold of Watford, and uh, well, let's see what he's got left in his toolkit there. Southampton against Leeds United, Norwich against Brighton, Aston Villa against Wolves, Leicester City. against 
against Manchester United, Manchester City against Burnley, all in your goal rush before Brentford host Chelsea at 3.30am. Sunday sees Everton host West Ham. The game I mentioned, Newcastle against Tottenham, and the round concludes with Arsenal hosting Crystal Palace. Gents, let's pick a few headlines out of that. Uh, we'll kick it off, Tommy, with Watford against Liverpool. Uh, will Claudio Ranieri be able to have the uh, manager bounce back that they need, or do Liverpool continue on with their sort of impressive early impressions of the season? Yeah, no, I think, uh, was it uh, Swartzy last week uh, gave uh, Ranieri uh, the touch him. of death? <laughs> 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 uh, <laughs> And I think, I think sadly, you know, we, we talked about it last week, uh, the, the run of games they've got coming up and obviously Liverpool uh, in great form. Uh, it, it's going to be tough. You know, it'll, it'll have a short-term impact. He'll come in with a few ideas um, uh, and try to, to obviously, um, you know, work on a few things. He's had a little bit of extra time with the international break uh, to get some, some things in, installed. But no, I, 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 I sadly... Uh, believe he'll be in for a very tough start and, and I can't see Liverpool uh, losing points in, in this one. If they want to try and emulate anything and Ranieri's just got to go back to that what, 29th of February 2020 Watford 3, Liverpool 0 it was Liverpool's first loss in their title season so that if there's anything that they can take from it, it's this and if there's any man that they need to get on the score sheet it's the guy, I absolutely love this fella, Saw. Leading scorer, um, you know, four goals, and he he got a double in that game last time out in the, in that match. So, I'm very surprised that they held on to him when they went mm. the championship. Mm. I'm surprised no teams went in and got him because he's proven that he's athletic. He can score goals, and he's he's a, he's just a handful. Um, but then again, you can go and say if Mo Salah's in form and the way that he is performing, <laughs> there's every chance that he can score four goals against him like he did in 2018. So. It's, um, I th- I'm not sure what the score was that game. Moore got four. It might have been five or six nil, 2018. So it's it's just a f- it's a fascinating tie. So um, I just think not Liverpool Ranieri. Um, Liverpool getting done by Ranieri. No, yeah, Liverpool no. all the way. So a bit of pressure in the Leicester against Manchester United game. Obviously, Varane limped off for France as well. So they've got a few injury doubts there. And Leicester are down in 13th place with eight points. Manchester United are in the top four, but there's still all those doubts that everyone's been talking about. We've been talking about We've talked about it for probably hours on this show, I think, uh, dissecting that. But they begin now a very, very difficult run. They need to pick up points in this game, Tom. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't know. Uh, sadly, on paper, I don't think uh, Leicester is is is, is suitable. Uh, I think they uh, they've had the blueprint from from uh, you know Villa and Everton. You know, just uh, you know soak up the pressure mm-hmm. um, and then hit it on on the counter. And and I think Rerana has been good. He, he's potentially not playing, um, so they'll have to obviously rotate at the back. Lindelof, I think, will will probably come in, um, but that's where they've been vulnerable. I think that's where Leicester have uh, their strength. So it's going to be tough for Man United. And as you say, Solskjaer is on a, under pressure and uh, they need to win. So, you know, it's going to be fascinating to watch this. But, you know, I think I think Leicester will have a, a good chance here of getting points at least. Just before you jump in, Bridget, I'll just, I'll just let listeners know what the run for United coming up is. It's after this game, it's Atalanta, Liverpool, Tottenham, Atalanta, Manchester City. So that just yeah. elevates the context is, of why this is Do you is know so what important. it is? Both, both these teams have got a hell of a next five games. You've just said Man United. I was looking at Leicester. They've got, obviously got Manchester United, then Brentford, who have shown everybody what they are capable of. Arsenal, Leeds and Chelsea. So these teams, like this is a, this is a big game for both, both teams and for both managers because 
Brendan Rodgers is another guy that has been linked with Newcastle United as well. I didn't talk about him there. Um, they've seen what he can do when he's gone to Liverpool. He's brought them uh, close to success. He's done it with Celtic. Um, he's, you know, what he's done at Leicester. So another guy that is on the radar of the, of the Newcastle United um, new new ownership. Can they get the result against Man United? Um, I think the, the big one for me, Varane getting injured midweek. Um, Paul France in the international game. He did his hamstring. How long is that going to affect them? Um, so the big matchup there, you, you need pace. Varane has it in abundance. The matchup with Vardy and, and Maguire. Vardy, you know, equal leading scorer with six goals. Um, Maguire's there. And then at the other end of the field, you've got Ronaldo against the ex-Man United player, Johnny Evans. They've, it's going to be fascinating to see. Um, I can't honestly decide who's going to come out on top. Um, do I need to sit on the fence or do I go for a Man United win? Um, yeah, I'll go Man United win. There hey, you go. Hey, Bridget Solskjaer might put Ronaldo on the bench. Who knows? Oh, hey, there's every chance, Tommy. Every chance. <laughs> How good will that guy? Jeez. I don't think he'll do that again, Tommy. If he is fit, he will play. He learned his lesson. Uh, if he if, if he wants to keep his job, I think he puts him on the pitch. Yeah, yeah. me. But the thing is, Bruno Fernandez as well. Ever since that first, um, did he get a hat trick or did he get four goals? Hat trick in the first game. Or was it Pog? Uh, I think he yeah, got. Too. I think he got a hat trick and because he got the ball. Was it Pogba got the four assists? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The four. I don't. I don't remember the hat. Well, either or. He did very, very well with Fernandez um, and Bruno. It was a Leeds game, wasn't it? 6-1. Uh, yeah, I think, I think he got a hat-trick. But ever since then, he just hasn't really... He missed a penalty. He, he, he's had some performances, but he just hasn't hit the hit the things he was showing last season on a consistent level for the for the back of the net. Yeah, so it was a hat trick. Hat trick. There you go. So it's a, it's a it's a big it's a big game. Um, and yeah, United if if they can get all the players singing on the same hymn sheet. Chelsea's an interesting one because they had a little bit of a blip before beating Southampton, but the Juventus and City games uh, show that there's a still Thomas Tuchel is not invincible. Uh, Brentford will pre- pre- present a, uh, a you know th- they'll do their very best to present a challenge at home, but uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, Lukaku coming back from the Nations League. Will he hit the ground running? Will Timo Werner hit the ground running? Um, where do you guys have Chelsea at at this point after seeing them against the elite elite? Probably not hitting their straps, but um, you know obviously Southampton. Pretty pretty easy against them, Thomas. Yeah, no. Again, I think they've 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 shown that they're, they're models uh, a little bit. Um, like but again, yeah, <laughs> that's, a good, that's but, exactly what it is. Yeah, and I, you know, again, I, I still don't have any doubts about them. Um, you know, again, it, it's going to be a good test. I actually look forward to to this. You know, we saw obviously Brentford against Arsenal early in the season how they dominate. They're not going to dominate as much, obviously, against Chelsea, but. But I like the the way, like Bridget said, that the way they've they've sort of taken this league on and and they're playing positive stuff. Uh, it's going to be a great atmosphere there, and uh, yeah, it, it's you know it's probably as close of a local London derby as you can get. I don't think there's that far between the two stadiums, so uh, it's going to be interesting because they they would have been waiting for especially the Chelsea game for for a long long time, and and finally it's here, and and yeah, that there's going to be a lot of energy there. I've got to say, Dave, for you as a Chelsea fan, and the, you know, you were saying that them last few matches, there was that run of games that it, it was a very, very tough couple of weeks for Chelsea. Um, got through it, yeah, a little bit, a little bit hurt, but not really unscathed. And you can see, I think the international break was a good, good timing for Chelsea. And now coming back in Brentford, tough fixture. But then you've got Norwich, you've got Newcastle United, you've got Burnley. Please, what a, what a lovely little um, freshen up that is. 
Uh, he'll probably play three different teams in that way in that you, three weeks. And you don't know what he's going to do, but I'll tell you what. Against Norwich, it'll be a goal fest. Against um, Brentford, however, the one we're looking at, the two boys. If anybody's going to hurt a team defensively, um, it's Tony who is just full of energy, and Mbuma who has hit the woodwork four times. He's on equal goals with Tony with two. Anything can happen when you've got them boys um, having having a go. So it's going to be interesting. Can I see Brentford doing it? No, I can't because I really like Chelsea. I still say you're going to get the treble. And, and this is a, a nice little run going into um, uh, them four matches for them. Very nice. And last but not least, uh, I feel like it was yesterday we were talking about Arteta having to play for his job. Now he's manager of the month. I guess uh, that might be a poison challenge because Nuno was the manager of the month before that. But uh, things move quickly in the Premier League and they play Crystal Palace um, in a good spot. Yeah, no, I, I think, you know, he's, he's done a good job. At least he's steadied the ship. I think that's, you know, a little bit of a, in my view, a token gesture that he gets manager of the month. Um, but... Um, you know, he, he has uh, turned things around slightly. I th- I, you know, they, they are playing better. I think the, the big change is obviously defensively. I think they're, 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 they're looking a lot better. Ben White, uh, Gabriel, uh, you know, have, have sort of steadied the ship. Ramsdale um, had done well in goal. Uh, and then, um, you know, going forward, I, I still think, you know, we, we, we saw the game against Brighton uh, the other week and um, whew, they were hanging on a little bit. Uh, so, so I still think they've, they've got a fair way to go, but you know, you see them going in the right direction. And I think that's as, a, as Arsenal fans, I think that's what they want because it was looking dire, uh, early in the season. And, uh, and, and it shows that, you know, if you give managers a bit of time, you know, he can start to then hopefully now build on, on this, uh, steady period and, and then try to get the results. And, and against Crystal Palace, this is a game they have to win, even though Crystal Palace have looked fairly good. I'm coming to the defence of Arsenal here and Arteta. I can't believe this, Tommy. You've just you've just got the blood boiling. Talking gesture. He's had three clean sheets, um, oh, and, he won, and he won the derby three-one against Tottenham after a five-nil drubbing of Manchester City. That for me, you've got four wins out of four. You've conceded one goal. That isn't a talking gesture, mate. In the Premier League, that he well deserved. Okay, right. He well deserved that after the start he had because he uh... was he was on his arse, man. He was on his way out. Um, I think that's how he's he's won it um, because they've, they've won four games. Like I say, the clean sheets, and I've got to agree with you that he's had the time. What what they had early on was the injuries, the suspensions, and the few players with COVID. He's got Ben White and Gabriel at the back, um, and Tierney. They have been so consistent. And Ramsdale coming in has just been absolutely. It's it's given them a whole new dynamic. So um, I'm I'm saying that they're going to go on and win this game, no problem. Well. My last job as host of the Gagan Pod is to make sure the dressing room is all okay. Handshakes after that little disagreement. I do love it. I do love the the, the head-to-head, the tete-a-tete. That's what it's been all about, having good debate over this over the last few years. But as we end off today and I say goodbye uh, at the end of this Gagan Pod, I have to say to all our listeners that uh, this will be my last episode hosting the Gagan Pod and, and sitting here and talking football with uh, absolute legends who have been a pleasure to spend my time with over the last couple of years at Optus Sport. Bridgie, Tommy, it's been an absolute blast. Thank you for your honesty and generosity every single week. And I think it's probably, we're missing Schwartzy today, which is a shame. But I think if we go back through over 200 episodes of the Gag and Pod, I think you'd be on the podium for the most caps. So thank you for always being in there to have your say. Um, and uh, for hanging out over the last couple of years, four seasons of it. And more than that, we've had a, you know, Australia has had 
hell of a lot of lockdowns over the last couple of years. And I hope that we've been able to uh, spend some time just talking a little bit of nonsense and entertaining people and, and having football as a wonderful, wonderful way out. So, um, yes, yeah, so I'm ending off at Off The Sport in the next couple of weeks, and this is my last episode of The Ganger Pod. It has been a privilege to have your ears. It has been a privilege to spend time with you talking football, and I hope to all our listeners out there that uh, whether they've read, read, listened, watched, however it's been that you've consumed The Ganger Pod, that it's added a little bit to your football experience, and it's been a humbling experience being able to do that for you. But to you two gents, thank you so much for your time, and it's been an absolute pleasure. Dave, thank you very much. Personally, from me, I want to thank yourself for everything that you have, have done since you have been at Optus Sport, everything you've done on the Gagan Pod. I have thoroughly enjoyed dribbling on every time I've been on the Gagan Pod. The listeners um, have hopefully thoroughly enjoyed everything that you've brought and, and delivered as well, mate. And what you have done as well, me and Tommy go back as teammates at Sunland. Um, and after being in Australia, we, you know, we never really got to see each other or talk to each other as much as we should. You brought us two back together. We've been able to re- rekindle our love affair from the Sunland days and, and talk about um, you know the, the leagues that we had so much joy playing in. Um, so it's been absolutely fantastic. But like me and Tommy, we have seen many players and many managers come and go. You are going to be our marquee man that is going to be leaving us. It's very, very sad, but the show must go on. You're going on to do your own thing. You're going to go on to be a marquee player somewhere else, mate. And I wish you all the damn best because I haven't seen your work behind the scenes and what you do, mate. There is no doubt you are going to go on to have success wherever you go. So thank you very much. Good luck, mate. And it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Bridget. Dave, I can say uh, you are hereby on the uh, Hall of Fame, or straight into the Hall of Fame uh, gagging pod uh, version. Um, <laughs> you know, again, I, I, I can only say, uh, you know, it's a, it's a pleasure to talk to someone who, who has, you know, you, you haven't played at the highest level. I know, I know you would say otherwise, but... But uh, but to talk to someone who, <laughs> no who has, <laughs> but to, but, but, to, but to talk uh, with someone uh, with the passion for the game and and with the deep knowledge that you have is is fantastic. We we've obviously seen it from the playing side, but but you know way more than us. Uh, the great articles you write, all the things you've built at Optus Sport, and and as Bridget said, you'll you'll go on to 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 bigger and, and uh, bigger things and and new new challenges, and you'll do well there. So so for yeah, for for me and and from Bridget as well, you know, huge thank you, man. That is so well, kind. Well, job thank well done. You. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. We will hopefully get to catch up once Australia gets back into life, and uh, I will not be lost to football. I'll be around. Um, and that'll all come out in the next few weeks, but it's been an absolute joy. I haven't added up the hours we've spent talking because that would be a bit haunting. I think it would add up to days and days and days and days, but um, it's been an, it has been a blast. All I will say, one bit of advice, mate, get yourself to the hairdressers, get yourself a new haircut, have a shave because you are looking a little bit disheveled. We are out of freedom now. We can get outside. I know Tommy's not in Melbourne. The listeners, I wish you all the best. But, mate, that has got to be your first protocol because it's the first time I've seen you on the gig and pod. Well, I know the listeners can't see you, but if you put something out, mate, you are looking a little bit like Shaggy off Scooby-Doo. Shaggy? <laughs> <laughs> you should see the. Have you seen? Have you have you seen the lines outside the barber shops? Oh my god! <laughs> I have actually. I went past one yesterday. I thought I'm not going in there. I got my wife to do mine, and I'm not equipped to tackle this. This whatever I've got on my head right now. This skunk. I can't tackle that. Um, that's enough dribble to end off with, gents. That, that's thank you so much, and uh, it's been an absolute blast. As you say, Bridget, the show does go on. Claude's Fabiana will be in the chair next week to talk 
all the stuff we usually talk, probably with a lot more sense and probably uh, won't drag it out as long as I do. But I just enjoy talking to you guys too much. So that's that's sorry about that to all the listeners. Um, gents, thanks a lot. Everyone out there, thanks a lot. And as ever, until the next episode of The Gagan Pod, enjoy your football. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.